0: Shabbat Shalom everyone. Shabbat it is so fabulous Shabbat. to be together. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us begin by thanking God for the gift of learning Torah together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitzanu veitzotav vitzivanu lasok bedivrei Torah. Fahearevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torah hab'chayim u'v'chayei machabei Yisrael. Veniya Anachnu Vassas Ano amcha A. Am Chabe Israel, Colonia de A. Shemacha Valonde Totalishma, Boruch Ata Noy, Hamalame Torella Amo Israel, Boruch Ata Noy, Eloheno Melacha Alam, I share Bachar Bono Mikoha Amin, Lanu et Torato, Boruch Ata Notain Hatora. Shabbat shalom, and let's begin by thanking Eliza for taking the cold chair. (laughs) Back home, you might not be able to see this, but... um, Yeah,
1: nobody can can tell that based on how she's dressed.
0: (laughs) Given our COVID protocols, we have the windows open, and I think it's 13 degrees, so we have some nice fresh air circulating, and Elias has this move where he's utterly insulated from any fresh air. (laughs) And uh, I think Michelle and Elisa swap seats, so now Elisa gets the 13-degree air. But I brought a jacket, so, so I'm ready. Anyway, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It's so great to learn with you. I do not have a coat on. Yes, and you are farthest from the windows. Uh, so good Shabbos, everybody. Um, I wanted to... Uh, I, uh, we have a treat in store. We have a presentation from Elias about his new shoes, but, well, well... We'll get to that in a minute, but I, I wanted to just kind of frame the basic uh, question for the day, and this is a question that I have been marinating on for about two and a half months. Um, in, in our sisterhood class, which meets on Tuesday morning, we've been studying uh, the book by Doris Kearns Goodwin, Leadership in Tumultuous Times, and she presents the rise to the presidency and then the presidency of and by the way, how each of these figures had to overcome deep personal depression on their way to the presidency, and then the presidency of Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Lyndon Baines Johnson. And each of these four presidents has, at a high level, two dramatic things in common. Number one, they're amazingly impressive presidents, and incredibly effective presidents in her phrase, tumultuous times. Abraham Lincoln preserves the Union. That's pretty good. He uh, emancipates enslaved people. That's pretty good, right? And yet the other thing that they all have in common is they're not only not universally loved at the time, but they are hated by many at the time. So Abraham Lincoln preserves the Union and frees emancipated people, and you would think, oh, my God, he's amazing. Everybody would love him. No, lots of people didn't love him. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, at the turn of the century, um, be, really begins to grapple in a systemic way with economic inequality and the way that the Gilded Age and um, the you know, manufacturing revolution uh, made many people very rich and even more very poor, and he begins to grapple with that, um, and he's hated by many. Franklin Delano Roosevelt deals with the Great Depression and Adolf Hitler. Um, he's loved by many and hated by many. And Lyndon Baines Johnson, um, according to Doris Kearns Goodwin, he passes more legislation that affects the lives of ordinary Americans, of all races, colors, and creeds, than any president in the 20th century, with the possible exception of of FDR, uh, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, uh, public accommodations laws, Medicare, Medicaid the Great Society, all this stuff, and he's so not universally loved. He messes up Vietnam, obviously. He's so not universally loved that he doesn't even run a second term, right? So here's the questions I wanted to ask you to think about. Um, What is it that makes a leader very effective? What is it that makes a leader very beloved? Is it possible for a leader, any leader, to be loved by all. I mean, is it possible that a leader leads and that constituents that live during that time say, oh my God, this leader is amazing. We all love this leader. Is that even possible or is that impossible? And what's the relationship? This is at a high level. What's the relationship between being an effective leader and being a beloved leader? And the last point of departure is, after marinating on the American experience, of course I went to the Jewish experience, to the Torah, we would all say that the greatest leader in the history of our people, by far, no question, is Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And yet, just to end this framing, when, um, when Aaron dies, Moses' brother the priest, it says, vaifku kol bene Yisrael. All of the Jewish people mourned Aaron for 30 days. When Moses dies, there's no kol, there's no all. It just says, uh, The Jewish people, some of the Jewish people, not all of the Jewish people. And the commentators point this out, and if you look at Chaim Chumash, and the sheets are attached in the, in the text, they say, hey, when Aaron died, Everybody, right, left, and center said, oh my God, there will never be another Aaron. Oh my God, Aaron, how are we gonna live without Aaron? When Moses died, there were people who said, it's time, it's time. Wish him well, it's time. So, those are my questions, colleagues and friends. What makes a a leader effective? What makes a leader beloved? And what's the relation between the two? Um, And with that, Elias, um, can you uh, take us away?
1: Yeah, so um, I cannot start in any other way than not addressing my fans. So, uh, (laughs) you know, some people mentioned that they couldn't see with the camera, so (laughs) I'm going to get closer. Obviously, my socks today, you know, are not unusual, but what I have today is my shoes match my belt. All right? (laughs) So, colleagues, so that's another fashion statement here. (laughs) So, thank you, everybody. And uh, that being said... (laughs) Uh, yeah now we can start with the camera up uh, it's It's a fantastic question what you are asking Wes, and there are so much to discuss and there are so many things to come in my that come in my to my mind so a few funny examples so for example, you know in my house, we have Mikey and David and Lorena and I. Lorena is more strict I have to admit that she's a great great mother and i'm you know I'm the guy like hey, hey that can we stay up late tonight? We have nothing to tomorrow, yeah, of course. Guys, go to sleep, Lorena. So, you know, the boys want to hang up with me, of course. So that's the difference between Aaron and Moses. You know, Aaron was the guy who allowed everybody to have booze and to have, you know, the the golden calf and to have, you know, parties until three in the morning. And and then Moses comes and says, Hey, you're all wrong, you're going to die. I mean, of course he's of course he's going to be more beloved. All right. So, you know, it, it's it's Joke aside, it's, it's the leaders who are effective, sometimes they have to really tell the truth to the people. And many people don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. And that's perhaps the, the issue with Moses and Aaron. Just one interpretation of that, you know?
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, I, colleagues, what are at a high level, What are your, your preliminary thinking about yeah. this? Damn. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, wait. yes.
1: It wasn't high level what I said? No, that was very...
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I want to say something. You know, you're... You are a great, you are a great leader. You are beloved by everybody. You are a great leader. That makes me higher level.
2: Yes, that's it. Well, fir- first of all, I think it's important that you went first because Aaron was a, was a, you know was la- was a layvee, so that was important. Um, and I was thinking about actually to continue the discussion about Aaron. I think what made Aaron m- more beloved than uh, Moses was that Aaron didn't have to make big decisions. Right. Right. He was i mean he was a, he was a Kohane, but he was a functionary he really didn't have to say he didn't have to make um, you know he had the call about what, what what to do when the people you know rebelled but it really uh but he really wasn't he really wasn't in charge really at that you know at that point he wasn't really the official leader at that point and that made him i think that made him a little less um less of a of an absolute uh, an absolute leader So I want to to, just sort of to to bring that to the fore, and I think that you know there are people that can be leaders uh, in certain ways that kind of hide behind not not having to you know put themselves out there, not having to um, make you know be the public face. Mm. Um, uh, So that that you know um, in other words, they just
0: they really they're functionaries without actually having real responsibility. Dan, so let me ask you. Let me just uh, go further on that one. Um, Does that suggest that if if your leadership means you know, making real choices and encouraging your people to make real choices and saying no to the three o'clock in the morning party, etc, that, that's in, incompatible with being beloved. In other words, what your comment suggests that to exercise real leadership is almost by definition to not be capable of being loved by everybody because to exercise real leadership means you have to say no, you have to confront hard choices, you have to make people confront trade-offs and sacrifices, and they don't like that. People like yes, they don't like no. And therefore, part of a leader's job is to know you're not gonna be loved by everybody.
2: Yeah, I I would say absolutely. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Michelle?
3: Elias, thank you for the opening of class today. (laughs) (laughs) You totally lifted my spirits, and I, I think you're certainly right on about Aaron, I mean, when Moses comes down the mountain, Aaron has totally given in to everything. It's really exercised terrible leadership there. But if somebody doesn't say no, of course you love them. I'm I I totally accept. Wait, is that the dynamics
1: in your house between you and Mike?
3: I am not (laughs) telling tales out of school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so I accept that read a thousand percent. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's actually the read on Moses that I'm struggling with because I find, you know, w- w- the commentators and you this morning, Wes, have made such, such big hay out of the word coal, right? And of course, that's what commentators do. They say, look, it says coal there. It doesn't say coal here. But I'm wondering about Moses if it's not a reflection on how beloved he was, or how not beloved he was. Although, of course, you know Moses, from the moment he's identified as a leader, does not seem to anybody to be cuddly as a leader. He himself says, "Like I don't know how to do this thing," um, and he's got problems with his families, and so th- there are all, there are all kinds of reasons that he might not have been cool. But I also think the Israelite people at the time that Moses finally dies, have actually come to a really different place, and it has to do with that, Mos- that Aaron moment. When Moses went up the mountain the first time, the Israelites lose it. Like, they don't know what to do with themselves. They, they can't imagine being able to worship God without Moses. But somehow through the, the golden calf episode, when they come down, they realize, well, wait a minute. Like, we've got to handle this. We, we can't continue to lose it when Mm -hmm. our leader leaves. And so the second time he goes up that mountain, that time to die, um, not that mountain, but another mountain (laughs) to to die, they have to figure it out. Like in some ways, I don't know that it's a reflection of their love for him, but of his legacy. And the fact that B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel are, are kind of forced to say, okay, now, we need to figure out what the next thing is for us. And they're tied up in the next thing. And so it's not that some of them loved him and some of them didn't love him. It's that all of them, kol, not kol b'nai Yisrael, but b'nai Yisrael, the, the full people of Israel, have to actually figure out what the next move is.
0: And now that what I hear you say, Michelle, is that the children of Israel hmm. evolved and deepened. Right. From the golden calf to the very end of the Torah, when Moses dies, they got tougher, they got more mature, and as a result, their, their experience of life without Moses had changed.
3: Yeah, and they're, and they're in a very different place. place. I mean, Moses is able to live a length of days. Right. He's able to give over his legacy. Right. I, I don't know that you have to necessarily see it as a point of conflict
0: right. that that but word coal isn't there. Okay, so that's a nice interpretation. I mean, it's, it's, and I'm sure it's legitimate to say that, very they, high level. that, that they evolved. <laughs> Uh, but but when you re- when you look at uh, when you actually read the story of the of the golden calf sin, um, which is the main story that pits the two leadership styles, uh, Aaron says yes to their uh, wild side, and Moses says no. Okay, and and Moses holds them accountable. So I, I just want to pause for a second and digress talking about our, our own life. There's so much more to talk about, and Elise, I want to hear from you, obviously, as well. But do you ever say no to people at Temple Emanuel? I mean, do, do, does, does somebody ever say to you... Can I you teach re-
4: teenagers. Ah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so talk about that. I mean, can, can, you say, can you say no in ways that they, uh, that, that, that they respect? How do you say no, a principled no... In ways that is it possible to say a principle of no in ways that don't cost you affection and and love, and can you talk about the relationship between our saying no and our being less loved
4: so I think that there's something about being an insider versus an outsider that comes up with Moses and Aaron and it answers that question as well, which is that. Moses is an imposed outsider who doesn't understand the people's experience, who doesn't relate to them in the ways they want to be related to. He doesn't, he doesn't spin things beautifully. He doesn't know how to speak in a way that, that engages them. And in every, every encounter, he's the outsider imposing an outside. It's not even his will. It's an outside will of God that they haven't experienced yet. Um, and I think that that dynamic, Aaron's an insider, a total insider. And I think that that makes all the difference when you feel like you're on the same team, that you have a a shared purpose, a shared goal, that that the the leader gets you and sees you, right? Like, it's the difference, um, you know... A tot Shabbat. This is. I mean, I, I love toddlers. They're the great examples of everything, right? Tat Shabbat. You have a whole bunch of adorable small humans who really want to share their things. And one of the things that we've had a challenge with recently is if we don't sing the dinosaur song long enough, or if we don't sing, "I've got a Shabbat feeling in all of the body parts," we have meltdowns. And there's a very delicate balance of getting a toddler to be like, "We're gonna move beyond the dinosaur song." Without a meltdown.
0: For those of us who don't know what the dinosaur song is, <laughs> namely all of us, what's the dinosaur song?
4: There's a dinosaur knocking at my door, knocking one two three. <laughs> There's a dinosaur. Anyway, that's it's a that's crowd that's favorite at Tatshabat. It <laughs> looks so like
1: it looks like you are the only one who doesn't know. <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> and and you have to sing that at length, or else you have. A we have ball. yeah,
4: we have very. We, it's it's very important. The toddlers are very attached to their rituals it's very important and and one of the things that we've experienced recently is like if you don't get enough of it we have meltdowns and um, and it's like actually i kind of feel like we should make temple Emanuel commercials of these meltdowns because it's like i need to sing more shabbat songs it's just like the <laughs> belt <laughs> the best meltdown ever <laughs> um but but i digress the point is that you can right there's a way if you just say like no we're not doing that shabbat song you're guaranteed meltdown if you say like really great we'll come back or you engage like i hear that you want that and i see that you want that and is it okay if we sing this other song that i know you also really like you can get toddlers to move along it's the same way with with teenagers the same way with adults right we want to be seen we want to be heard and and if the no is i see you i can validate why you want that and here's what i'm thinking about how about if we it's a really different feeling than you're wrong no and i think moses kind of suffers from the
0: You're wrong, no. By the way, Aliza, thank you. It's like so much to think about and so profound. And it explains, it, it explains something okay. that is true about our fair city of Boston that I've never totally understood, but you helped me frame it, which is Boston mayors all have Boston accents, right? Boston mayors all have Boston accents. Mayor Menino, may he rest in peace, had a real Boston accent. Mayor Walsh has a real Boston accent. And I think the, the Boston accent is like it's a an insider-outsider thing, like, I'm of you, mm-hmm. and I'm of you. And uh, that's really helpful. Elias, you were gonna say?
1: Yeah, so, um, from early age, I loved I loved um, singing in synagogue, right, that that has been always my passion. I, I found the combination of singing and Jewish music, the, the, the path for me and my calling. And uh, uh, so, I've been always enjoying this in in all the aspects, but the the aspect that I enjoy the most is that sometimes people come to me and they say, Cantor, why are you singing that melody? And I said, it was Wes's decision, it wasn't my decision. (laughs) Or sometimes they come and they tell me, Cantor, how is it possible that my kid is not reciting the 36 verses of the Aftara and and you're only teaching half? Wes's decision, it wasn't mine. So you know, I love that, this idea that I can smile and sing and teach, and nothing bad happens to me. <laughs> and, all the hard, and all the hard decisions are on you. So I love that. Thank you, everybody.:
2: <laughs> It comes with being a lady.:
1: Right, right, right. No, but, but now, on a serious note, serious note, um, I think that what it's really difficult to master in general is to have the combination of being strict in a lovely way. For any leader, the biggest challenge is to be able to show the truth to people and to be strict and say, okay, here's the line, but doing it in a lovely way. And the, the, to be able to 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 craft that is the most difficult thing. Mm.
0: Right, and, and if you think about the sin of the golden calf, you have... You have lovely way, but not strict, and you have strict, but not lovely way. I mean, Aaron just says when they say we want an idol, he says, "Give me your gold, and we'll make the idol." And you have Moses who comes and you know kills a bunch of people and has them kill other people, et cetera, et cetera. So, so ha- how you do strict and lovely at the same time? So,
4: what? can I ask? So, yeah. I have a question about the gold. So, Golden calf incident is always read as very bad, but to me, it's it's very good. And I think the reason it's very good, and I'll, I, like it goes counter to everything, But but Aaron sees that the people are never going to accept God. They're never going to accept what Moses is telling them unless they have their own personal experience of why they should follow God. The positive hasn't worked for them. The pro, you know, God saved us is not working for them. They're just like still very ornery, and it's the experience of putting together that calf and the consequences that follow that I think shift the narrative in the desert. And so I think Aaron is actually a really very savvy leader that he understands, and he's like, okay, this is the only way we're going to get there. I'm with you.
3: Or he understands that he has to survive this, mm.
4: and <laughs> the people are out of control,
3: and there's a time to pick your battles. What's really interesting, I just went looking through this text. Did you include the Rashi and I'm just not seeing it? here because one of the things that I noticed about the Rashi with Moses, uh, when I was studying it online, is that Rashi makes a big deal not out of the coal but out of B'nai Yisrael. And the idea that the, he had all the men with him, Moses was, got all the guys, but the women, he says this is actually a gendered thing. And if that's the case, if we can go back to all the, in this case, it's specifically B'nai Israel, the sons of Israel, um, whereas before it was coal, that means the women too, then actually the women's participation in the golden calf becomes actually really relevant. What did the women do? They gave over their jewelry. They, they gave something of themselves, and therefore Moses is coming down and saying no to the golden calf was essentially a rejection of what the women felt that they could give to mm. God's worship. Uh, we could go probably deeper there, but it, um, do we have the text? Yeah.
0: Well, so I, I don't have that. I didn't, I didn't bring that Rashi. But but just based on that, I guess here's a, here's, a, here's a question that follows from that, which is we live now in the age of identity politics, where what matters is not just your position on different issues and your and your convictions but your gender and your race and your color and your creed and your personal identity exactly. m- matter even more than or as much as uh, pr- probably more than uh, the content of your positions so um, how does all that factor in
3: yeah so I-, uh, I found that really fascinating Dan go ahead if you
0: want to talkize please. Yeah.
2: I want to go back to that because I, th- I, I I'm going to disagree with Rashi. I mean, it's, it's it's an interesting read, but then you know he's also I- ignoring the the grammatical import of the Hebrew, which which is bene always includes everybody. Right. And I was thinking about uh, that with Aaron. It's kol B'nai Israel because with Moshe, no one um, nobody rebelled against Aaron, but with Moshe you had those two rebellions. So you, so uh, automatically it was not kol B'nai Israel. Think about if you are. You know if you are the descendants of datana Navi Ram you know those people then you're going to have for the for millennium uh, going forward you're always going to have something that's not uh, th- that's going to not be a good feeling about, about what Moshe did right? Right. And, uh, so, so it's kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys. The right. other thing I was thinking about in le- terms of leadership style, if you if we look at even think about this week's Parsha, we're talking about Yosef, yes right so now we 're talking about Yosef, who becomes a leader in a foreign land, right, but right. he's a leader, and look how and you, this is what you spoke about. Uh, recently, I forget when, but it was just re- very recently talking about, about oh it might have been last night, about it's about about re- about revenge, about about whether it's mo- whether Joseph is using his position of power right. to be vengeful against his brothers. So it's a, some, so yeah. sometimes using using your using your leadership position. Um, in an inappropriate way is also uh, so, a way that, that you yeah, don't so, become beloved.
0: Yeah, yeah, so let me, let me just, I want to thank you for that, and we'll come back to identity politics in a second, but I want to just, t- the Joseph story which I brought is not only because it's in the portion, but also because it's a crystalline example. It's the perfect quintessential example of a person who solves a really horrible, deep problem uh, with technical skill, and technical efficiency, and yet ends up being, I think, pretty much hated. So let's just double click on this, right? So what's the problem? The problem is famine, and and sadly, we have you know lines outside of food pantries at four a.m. Um, I remember reading um, uh, this book about Nor- uh, about North Korea uh, during nothing called "Nothing to Envy" by Barbara Demick. Nothing to Envy, and it talks about like what's the experience of famine? It's the experience of famine is First of all, it goes on. So you, like your cupboards are empty, and you can't go to the grocery store because there's nothing in the grocery store, and you're getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier, and you're eating. You, know, you eat through all your supplies, and then you eat through the canned goods, and you're hungry. Mom, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Mom, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And it's torture. It's torture. And, and nothing to envy by, uh, you know, about North Korea in the 90s. Millions of people in North Korea die. And, and this writer uh, gets narratives of, of what it's like. This woman describing the death of her husband from hunger, and as he lays in bed, he's just fantasizing about, you know, about food, and soup, and wontons, and rice, and the kinds of food that he used to love, and he dies fantasizing, and he's emaciated, and millions of people happen, too, okay? That's Joseph's ta- very serious pandemic of hunger, okay? He solves this problem. And, and because he solves this problem, uh, Egyptians can eat. And according to the narrative of the Torah, they're the only people who can eat. Everybody else has to come to Egypt to get food, right? So you would think, here's a guy who solves the worst problem ever, like dying from hunger is the worst, right? And he solves it in a colossally successful way. We have food, and in fact, we're the food capital of the world, and we have enough for the world. And you would think the guy's beloved, but uh, the, 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 the text suggests that uh, he's hated and that when he dies at the beginning of exodus the egyptians can't wait to enslave his descendants uh so there's uh, a missing part of that story though right okay (laughs) so uh, just
4: uh, yeah he he solves it very well but he also moves egyptians out of the choices you know he takes them out of chestnut hill and newton and moves them in like moves him into the least choice i mean it's like worse than any of the worst neighborhoods in boston it's it's not farmable land it's not sub- land that can support their emissions and he puts his family into these beautiful mansions that he's taken from other people and then he it, he's not equitable in his approach so on the one hand yes guess he saves everybody from famine on the other hand he creates a lot of resentment and anger and and very likely his actions and his discrimination against Egyptians and his his favoring of his family over the Egyptians probably creates the kind of resentment that leads to enslavement.
0: Right.
3: And also, by the way, I mean, he effectively enslaves the Egyptians. Right. Right? Yes. So I I think that's probably the more significant challenge is they started out having their own, you know, their own life, their own ability to control their destiny, and then they end the famine completely enslaved to the government of Egypt.
0: Right. So I, I want to, yes. So and if you look, just uh, just to, for a second, uh, this is the first page, page one. <laughs> uh, the way that the Torah frames the severity of the famine uh, and the process where Egyptians say, hey, we're hungry, can we have food? And he says, uh, give us your money. And they give him their money. And we're hungry, can we have food? We're out of money, then give us your animals. Okay, here's our animals. We're hungry, can we have food? Well then give us your land. Okay, here's land. And now they've given all their food, all their animals, all their land. We're hungry, can we have food? Yes, but you have to become slaves. And the first slaves to Pharaoh are the Egyptians. Avadim Hayinu, the first Mitzrayim are Egyptians. Egyptians are the first. And the way, and Elisa, this is to your point, the way that it's framed at the beginning. Is, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers, giving them holdings in the choicest part of the land of Egypt in the region of Ramses. Um, Joseph sustained his father and his brothers and all his father's household with bread down to the little ones. And then you get the end of the story, which is the Egyptians become slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And then at the very end of this, um, you, you, know, you have a Avedin, avdin Pharaoh. They become slaves to Pharaoh. And then at the very end, if you look on page four, this is the last words of this whole story is, Vayifru, the, Egypt, the Israelites sustained in Chestnut Hill um, are fertile and increased greatly, which is exactly the language that Exodus picks up with when they become enslaved. So there's a direct connection, all of which is to say, what is the moral of the story? You have effective leadership at a certain technical level, but not effective in terms of f- making people feel valued. Um, and what? And, and, I, and I guess I want to pivot now to uh, to the pandemic and to our own urgent times. What does this whole story teach us about what effective leadership looks like in a deep national crisis?
3: Can I just yes. linger for just one moment back? By all Jesus, means, because I think some of the lack of Joseph's effective leadership, or at least the lack of his ability to become beloved by the Egyptians has to do with his own personal characteristics and you know there's a lot of animal farm-esque stuff going on here like there's the ideal that we're all equal and we're all going to get a particular share of this bounty that has been saved up and then there's the reality that actually my family is going to get the favor ahead of the other um, of the other people and I think time and time again in history, as we've seen those who have sort of ideals of egalitarianism and ideals of equality in terms of political government, that those wind up becoming eroded by some basic human instincts to take care of me and mine. And you talk about the pandemic right now, the article I read yesterday was all about vaccine distribution. Say more. How d- how are vaccines going to be um, distributed in an ideal world In an equal world, there's a line, and you are put into that line according to your age, according to your medical condition, and there's somebody like Joseph, right, figuring this out. Who gets what first, and you get a call, and they say, in fact, in Israel, this is what they're doing, you get a little email. And they say it's your turn to register for a vaccine. And Come it's on. fair and it's equitable. Because you're 68 equitable. and you have
0: heart disease, you're 27 and, this, and you're a marathon right? runner, and therefore the 68 with the heart disease gets first, the 27 marathon runner gets later. Exactly. And it's fair and equitable.
3: And there's great concern in our nation right now, at least according to this article that I read yesterday, that actually there's nobody really keeping track. It's an honor system, right? So you can say, well, oh, yes, 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 you know, I'm 42 and I'm just fine, except for, oh, I I have a pre-existing condition. Please let me cut in line. Or perhaps money can, or perhaps you don't even have to have ranked it. You know the right person. I read an article last
1: night before Shabbat.
0: uh, (laughs) (laughs) You are so holy. Yes. That all you study is, all you read is Chumash on Shabbat. That's it. (laughs) And uh, it was about
1: your beloved land, California, where very wealthy people are calling hospitals right. to say, if I give a big donation to the hospital, Correct. can I get the vaccine? Correct.
3: So that, that article covered exactly those types of challenges or those who are, um, for some reason, either because of their wealth or because of their fame, that they should yes. get this. So the, I, I want to answer your yeah. question. Yeah. I want
1: to answer your question. So first of all, I want to say something very high level. Can I change <laughs> chairs with somebody? I'm freezing here. <laughs>
2: That, Next was, week, Elias. that was very high level <laughs>
1: uh, now the the point is that um we have to go one step behind in order to think about what an effective leader is in terms of the pandemic and that is the idea that everybody is going to agree with that leader whatever decision that leader makes and that is almost impossible well that is almost impossible because as we know here in our country there are so many people that don't align with the with what we see here in Massachusetts with the science and with things like that and think about great leaders in the world you know in history think about our own you know rabin he was assassinated right you know? and i mean this idea that a great leader will lead the nation and everybody will be behind that person it's kind of utopic and I don't believe in that.
4: Can I jump yeah. in here? Because I think Please. there's a really important real-world example in New Zealand. Like, I think... Yeah, I know, it's freezing in here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I recommend bringing a winter jacket we and stop Turns Talmud out there classes? are no chairs. You are we Talmud <laughs>
1: classes for a while? Oh. <laughs> yeah, here you go.
4: So, anyway, so the Prime Minister of New Zealand really put in very strict preventative measures and ground the economy to a halt and put everybody on lockdown. And interestingly, she was the only country in the world where there, she, her her approval rating spiked afterwards, like as opposed to every other country where people are resentful and angry, she managed to create a narrative of positivity and, and people working together and joining together. And as a result, they were able to really quell their spike and have had incredible success. It's interesting that I think, and I, this is like a, a gender question too, right? I feel like if she was a man, there would be a lot more discussion around the world about like looking at her policies and trying to emulate her policies. I feel like the way that she created that was very much she very much was uh, put herself with the people. She very much created an equitable structure. She very much made it clear that she was with everyone, and that was it. That was the that was what made it so, successful.
0: So can I ask you a question? That that feels so. You know, it sounds like um, she was fair. She was equitable. She created a positive energy narrative she got people to buy in right um why isn't that done more often why like why would joseph do this like it's it's almost it almost feels predictable that if you're going to steal people's land in chestnut hill and give it to your family um that it's not going to end well um and yet that model seems to be more common than the new zealand model why is that Elisa burger
4: <laughs> well i think Joseph in many ways is reenacting the trauma of his childhood. Only now instead of being the recipient of favoritism, he's giving that over. Mm. Um, and I think that many of us right are limited by what we have seen and what we've experienced. Certainly if you grew up in American politics, it would be hard to imagine a political world in which everyone's working together and in which we are reaching across a divide to to create shared hopes and, and dreams for the future. That's just not what we see.
0: So we're and we're yeah. always reenacting the traumas.
1: Yeah, and also I so. also something yeah. that is very important that we can tap and perhaps not part of the discussion is this idea that power in many, in many cases corrupts. Right. right. And, for example, it comes to mind right, right to me. Um, more than a decade ago, Brazil had a president called Lula da Silva. And Lula da Silva won an election with 85% of the votes.
0: A legit election?
1: Yes, 85% of the votes. Where, where do you see that? It's impossible. And then years later, he was very corrupt. And he had many many troubles with the, with, the, uh, with the law and many things that he did because that power, that ability of being seen by 85% of the people, you are a great leader, really got Correct. to his mind. And then he was, you know, that's it. Now, on the, on the, like Joseph, now we have Bolsonaro in Brazil who is, sorry, horrible leader, and he's exactly on the other side. Exactly on the other side of the spectrum in terms of ideology. So, you know, what, what is a great leader, what corrupts the leaders into power, and what happens after them,
0: like yeah. Joseph. But, um, so can I wanna, can I we just,
3: return to Moses for one second? Can, because, can we? Do, yeah. Before
0: we go, we're still on Joseph for a second? Because I want to... Uh, Joseph um, it reenacts his trauma. Uh, Joseph favors, and et cetera. And here's my question. Why doesn't Joseph know better? Because Joseph... The, the, the Torah constantly says... That God is with Joseph, and he he's he's a man of faith. And when he he forgives the brothers at the end, you know, you sold me into slavery. But God God sent me here to preserve life. So here's he's a man of faith. He's a man of God. So it seems like being a man of faith or a person of faith or a person of God does not insulate you from human conditions' worst tendencies. It seems like you could be a real shmo, and you could be kind of a thief and a brigand, and a man of God at the same time. Comment.
3: But, but it's not. I, I, it, it, <laughs> actually, I think looking through our looking through our historical lens, right? Joseph is a hero. He saves our people. Like, if the story is about the Jewish people, Joseph <clears throat> did this a thousand percent right. Like, he he saved his family, and that that's actually. What your did he
0: or did he sow the seeds for enslaving his family? The answer is he sowed the seeds for enslaving his family. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Michelle, where are you getting Michelle with this? By the
3: way, (laughs) was God's plan all along? It's very cold. Let's finish
2: the the class here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, look, I think I think that the focus on our tribe, right, is actually something to be lifted up, to be valued, to be honored. It's certainly, I mean, when you, Elias, speak about J- the Jews of Argentina and that kind of community connection that you felt growing up there. I mean, I see Joseph trying to to make that happen. And in some way, Elisa, to your comment, you know, he experienced that, but except for he, he didn't experience that. In some ways, he was the outsider with his family. And this now enables him to be like fully embraced and accepted and loved by his family, which is what he sets his sight on and perhaps loses sight over leadership of the world. I know, but
1: Michelle, a question for you what's the cost of saving your own family when you don't look around when you don't look around (laughs) and and the others are suffering because you are saving your family. And and I think that's
3: I think that's why in the Talmud it says that you know the priority is for Jews to take care of other Jews. But right. you can't only focus on that because right. if you only focus on that, then you risk putting Jews in more danger because you haven't taken care of the world around oh, okay. you. Okay,
0: so guys, so here's here's how I'd like to end this class. We've talked a lot. We've talked about Moses's leadership style, and Aaron's leadership style, and Joseph's leadership style, um, and they all they all live in tumultuous times, to use Doris Kearns Goodwin's phrase, and we have the pandemic swirling in our background and issues of equity and distribution and vaccination, which are literally life and death issues. Here's my question. When you look at these cluster of texts, what's the essential takeaway? If you come home and your loved one says, hey, what did you talk about in Talmud class? What's the takeaway? What would you say is the, studying the leadership styles of these biblical heroes um, and, and, and connecting it to the pandemic that we're in now, you know, it's 13 degree air, in our room, and you're wearing a jacket, uh, because it has to be, uh, what's the message of these texts to our time? I'll start with you, Lisa. We'll just go around. In a word, what, or in a sentence or two, what's the message of all this to our time?
4: Know from whence you come so you can chart a potentially new course or be clear if you're charting the same.
0: Elias.
1: Being a leader is very hard. That's the reason I'm a cantor. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Should have ended with Elias. <laughs> <laughs> um, that being a leader means that you won't be loved by everybody, as long. But it's important that you have everybody's everybody's best interest in your heart and your mind.
3: And I, I wanted to return back to Moses for a similar reason. It, I don't know that Moses cared whether he was loved or not. Mm. He cared about his legacy. He cared that he made an impact. And that's why we say, you know, he was not corrupt. He did the right thing. He did it for the right reasons. And whatever happened afterwards was okay with him. And and he actually is able to help the the Jewish people grow up into who we become today. So I would take it.
0: Thank you. So, um, Amen to everything you say. I, what comes to my mind, thinking about this, is, you know, our, our member, Larry, uh, you know, has been running universities for 20 years. And he's been teaching other younger presidents how to run universities for 20 years. And he once told me that one of the things that he always tells new university presidents, which I put this in the email t- t- teaser, is if you want to be loved, get a dog. Um, and he says that if you're really going to run a university, uh, you can't be universally loved because university presidents have to help their community make hard choices and not everybody's always going to be happy with you and that burns tread. So I, I think just to, and that fits with what everybody is saying, but my takeaway on this, and, and it connects very directly, Michelle, to your takeaway on Moses, is therefore, therefore what? Therefore, um, we, have to, we have to care about what we can control and what we can control is what we do and that we act uh, in the most honorable way as we best understand it. Um, And we have to train ourselves to let go of what we can't control, which is how people will feel about the choices we made. Are the choices that I'm making consistent with my noblest values and ideals, with our traditions, noblest values and ideals, and am I doing the best I can to, to, to line up deed with those ideals and if the answer to that is yes, then it is impossible to be beloved by all, and we're human. We want to, every, nobody here likes enmity, nobody here likes controversy, nobody here likes angry emails, etc. But our move is to try our best to be honorable and to just accept that some imperfection is in the system. It just inheres from Moses' time to, to our own. So thank you. Now, by the way, we are going to be on break now uh, until January 16th, and we will see you then. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat
4: shalom. Shabbat shalom.
0: It'll be